Today we are here in Vienna in OMV head office and we're meeting Manfred Leitner. Nice to meet you and thank you for inviting us. Thanks for being with me. Great. So let's start discussing the strategy of your company. And I know that one of the main points for you is to be a stronger present on the European gas market and petrochemical market. Am I right? Yes, both is true. Nord Stream is one of these activities. Can you comment on this? <laughs> uh, let me start with the strategy that we are having in Gas and Power. What we, what we defined is, a, is the ambition to really become the leading integrated gas supplier from Northwestern to Southeastern Europe. Um, and obviously we have uh, in some countries production, but at the same time, we actually uh, supply a lot of gas from Gazprom export. Um, and Nord Stream 2, I mean, most probably one of the uh, most discussed projects recently, because it's not only seen as a, uh, an economic project that we are seeing, but it is getting into a political level already, which is uh, not, not always helpful, let me put it that way, um, is obviously fitting into that strategy. And because what, what we see is that if you look just at the facts and, and leave politics away, then, then you will find that the gas demand in Europe, in our opinion, will at least be stable if not growing over time. In Germany, nuclear power will be phased out. The coal-fired power plants will go out at a certain point in time. And uh, in my opinion, it's only natural gas that can, be, can replace uh, a lot of that power that has been produced um, otherwise. And then you just see that the Nord Stream 2 is a direct link between Russia having the biggest gas reserves in all our surroundings here into Germany, which obviously will have a growing demand. And at the same time, the European production is declining significantly. We believe over the next 10 to 15 years, and the pipeline project is a long-term project, not only for a couple of years, the import requirements will go up by 100 billion cubic meters. Um, and the pipeline is having a capacity of 55. So there's a lot of room for other, you know, uh, supply sources. And uh, for the customer, we believe it's the best that you have a lot of competition in those supply sources, because obviously this is giving you the best price. So this is uh, exactly one of the reasons, or the, one of the main reasons why we are supporting the project. We are not um, having a share in that project, we are having a financing part, as four other European companies are having, that goes for 10%. Um, and actually, I think the project is, is, is well underway with some political uh, problems currently that we see. What is the progress of the project right now? The progress is, I think the, the, the pipes are laid. Um, this is something which is, uh, I have to, I have to explain that to a certain extent. It's two, it will be two lines, 600 meet, 600 kilometers each. Uh, so this is all in all 1,200 kilometers approximately. And, uh, approximately 50% of that, uh, is already laid. So I mean, that's a big progress. And the progress is continuing now on a daily basis because, uh, the, those vessels are at work. 
So despite of any political issues, it is still in progress. And when do you expect it to be finished? Um, <clears throat> that's a very good question. The plan was to put it into operation at the end of 2019. Um, what, what I have to say is that we are missing one permit. We have got the permits in, uh, and all the approvals in, in Russia, in Germany, in Finland, in Sweden, everything fine. Um, in Denmark, we have not got the approval so far or of the uh, uh, permits or of the uh, ap approval requests that have been done by Nord Stream AG. That's a unique situation for us as well to understand what, what, what is the background to it because there are three different routes already applied for by Nord Stream 2 AG. And the first one was placed, I think, in the first quarter of... Uh, 2017. So this takes such a lot of time um, and uh, there is no deadline defined for uh, actually uh, producing that approval if, and this is what we still think, the approval is coming within the next couple of months, then there will not be um, a delay in the finalization of the project. But if this is delaying in terms of getting the approval from Denmark, then obviously there could be a delay in the project all over. What do you think about the reasons for Denmark? Do you have any guess on it? I do not see, I do not see an objective reason, to be honest, because uh, as far as I can judge, all the routes that have been applied for uh, qualify in terms of technical and environmental um, uh, characteristics. So. This is something where uh, I do not have a good explanation for it. So no guess. To be honest, all. the longer it takes, the more uh, we should think about in Europe uh, having a certain uh, reliability to to trust the legal framework, first of all. And I think the second topic that is not unimportant as well is to have a certain trust in investing into European companies because most of the work and most of the, the services have been uh, in the past, especially as far as the material is concerned for the pipes, have been uh, placed with, with uh, European companies as well. Speaking about partnership relations uh, between countries who are participating, what can you say about this? I think what you see is that there is a, a number of uh, European companies that have a, a pretty strong partnership with Russia, with, especially with Gazprom, um, Gazprom Export. Um, especially as far as OMV is concerned, is, is having with us for Austrian supply, I think uh, the first gas supply, long-term gas supply contract in place starting in 68 already. So we celebrated the 50th you know, anniversary uh, only recently. And uh, we have in the meantime even increased the, uh, term, the, the final date of the current supply contract to 2040. So we will. We are not only having the longest out of history. We will have the longest in future as well. But there are other companies that have uh, very good relationships to to Gazprom, and you see those other four European companies that are uh, finance uh, financing each ten percent of the share in Nord Stream Two. Um, and this is something where uh, you have to understand that there is Nord Stream One is already in place, is running. And uh, obviously the same companies, more or less the same companies, are uh, or have been 
even shareholders in Nord Stream 1. So this is just an addition now to Nord Stream 1. OMV is not part of Nord Stream 1, but we are obviously interested uh, in the construction of Nord Stream 2. Yes, but still uh, looks like you are new in this partnership and new with relations to these companies. So they accepted you well in this partnership? Absolutely. I think we have the same target. And as long as a group of companies is having the same target, you are aligned. Yeah, Yeah, and no competition between partners? I mean, competition. The, the, the point is that we are cooperating in that uh, project. We are in upstream cooperating with some of them as well. Uh, but on the other hand, I mean, since they are selling uh, the same commodity in the same markets we are active in, of course, there's a lot of competition as well in some areas of the business where it is, where it is useful to have that competition. But if you can, you know, uh, um, align forces to support a project like Nord Stream 2, then, then we are very much aligned there in supporting that. You started to say about the Gazprom. So uh, you prolonged the agreement with them. So you, you have a new agreement for prolonging the terms. Can you say more about this part? Yeah, we have, we have prolonged our uh, long-term gas supply contract for Austria until 2040 now. So this is a very, you know, comfortable uh, duration as well into the future. And we have increased the volume by a billion cubic meters per year on top of that. And I think it's a very, very clear evidence how trustful the relationship between Gazprom and OMV is for the security of supply of, of Austria with nat natural gas. Do you like living in Austria? Yes, quite a lot. Why? Because it's beautiful here. <laughs> We are sitting, uh, if you look out here, you see Vienna. Um, I, I live in Vienna. I have been born in Vienna. And um, I like to be and love to be in, 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 in Austria. And why? Because I'm traveling quite a lot. And I see a lot of capitals and I see a lot of countries all around. Um, and just to have the best of all confirmations, um, I always like to come back. Okay, why? What are the main three, name three things you like the best? I think, first of all, Austria has a beautiful landscape. We have a very high level uh, living style. What I mean is you are secure here. You have the environment is okay. I think uh, you can move a lot around and on top of it, uh, there is a lot of cultural offers that you can uh, make. Uh, use of. You saying that you are traveling frequently on, on your business. Yes. And how does it influence your lifestyle? Hopefully not too much. The only thing what I'm seeing is if I go to sometimes Eastern European countries or more remote countries even, um, it's, it's good to see that people are living in different, you know, standards and different environments. Uh, so what I take out of that usually is that uh, um, I get more grounded because if you come back, then you see that uh, we have such a high quality of living here that is not uh, the same for everybody. Name the best country and culture you like, if not Austria. Ah, there's such a, such a big gap behind Austria that I do not want to choose any one of those. We always saying that Europe will have more demand for gas. And am I right that it is in one line with this um, energy transition trend? Yes. As well, 
as well. What we believe is that gas should play a much more important role and will play a much more important role. First of all, uh, if you look at the CO2 targets in the European Commission, uh, in the European Community, then obviously there is a lot of reduction necessary in the future. Um, what we what we see and others as well, if you produce power out of coal, you could replace potentially coal by gas. This would mean a 50%, a 50%, you know, reduction in CO2 emissions. So this is already showing that gas is something or is a commodity, which I believe we cannot do without using more in, in the future. It has a part in even in mobility because uh, CNG cars are having less CO2 emissions as well. In Austria, for instance, the CNG infrastructure is in place. So there are approximately 160 stations uh, already there. Um, the behavior, for instance, of the driver does not need to change. You need uh, approximately the same time to fill up your car at the station, at the retail station. The mileage is comparable to fossil fuel uh, combustion engines. So there is not a lot of change. And by the way, I think the uh, running costs for the cars are 50% approximately compared to combustion engines. So there is such a lot of uh, advantages as well in, in private cars that uh, it is difficult to even understand why this has not come to a breakthrough much earlier already. It's not easy to make all the people change their cars to new one. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, how can you make people change their behavior? And uh, I, I think you have to give them a certain incentive to do that because otherwise they will not change it. Uh, a very clear, a very clear example for that is currently um, that in Germany the car producers are very much, you know, uh, persuaded uh, by politics to produce electric cars. Immobility. In immobility, e exactly, because what they are having is they have a certain target for 2020 to reduce this again the CO2 emissions uh, to below 95 milligram uh, CO2 emissions per kilometer. And uh, the legislation is set in a way that if they are not complying with it, then obviously they will see penalties for that. And on top of that, the electrical cars is accepted as a zero emission car. So this means if you, if you have a, an SUV that you potentially sell, and you sell one uh, electrical car at the same time, you can bring the fleet down to below the 95, whereas more than 40%, I think, of the German power production is coming out of coal, but this is totally left aside. So today, to run an electrical car in, in, in Germany on the uh, uh, power mix that is produced doesn't bring anything to CO2 uh, reductions, but it's, it's the other way around. So we have gas cars on the one hand and immobility on the other hand. And what, how do you predict what will win? <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of the best questions you can ask. Um, and to be honest, this will very much depend on, on, on the political decisions because the car producers have not produced a lot of CNG cars, of, of CNG cars that I have mentioned before in the past. That was the reason that the customers could not even buy them because there was not a lot on offer. 
Um, if you if you produce uh, cars, then they should have a certain appeal to the customers as well. Not only very small cars and so on and so forth. And I think this year this will happen. There will be another initiative so that the uh, car producers will come with a ver variety of, of CNG cars. This will potentially have an impact as well on the customers. Uh, why I'm saying politics, the problem that we currently see is that um, all other alternative fuels compared to a diesel car, for instance, are much more expensive. So unless they are subsidized, right, then the customers obviously will not go for them because it cannot be, I think, a legislation to forbid a certain uh, type of engines. This would be the other way around. But I think this should not be the case in the European community. So it will depend on where the incentives are uh, most interesting for the customers. And uh, to answer your question, I don't know, but I'm sure that the customers will decide on it and nobody else. What, what would you decide? What I would, what I'd decide if I buy a car tomorrow, I would go for a diesel car. And which one you're driving now? Also diesel? A gasoline car. Really? <laughs> yes. Really? Yes, really. You know, because I'm responsible for refining as well in OMV. And uh, in the past or in the cu past couple of years, the, the challenge for refineries was always because diesel demand was growing, gasoline demand not. And uh, because I'm trying to be pretty consistent in what I'm doing, um, I went for a gasoline car just to give an indication to support our refineries. And still, if now you're saying that gas cars are better, would you change your car to, have to, to, to use gas? That, that's, a, that's a good question. This might happen even. Yeah? This might happen. I could imagine to change from my car to a CNG car. I cannot imagine to go to an electromobility car. Why? Because I think it is uh, simply currently not understood what is really the whole complex in the, in the chain from beginning to the end behind. There is such a lot of CO2 emissions in the production of batteries. For instance, you need a certain raw material, which if you look how this is produced in South America or for instance in, in Africa, that's not the way uh, of quality production, preserving the environment there. And finally, I think we do not uh, understand so far how we would recycle the batteries once they are actually coming to, the, the lifetime is coming to an end. And, and on top of that, if you, if you look uh, on the flexibility of those cars currently, um, I would not want to have a charging time of 30 minutes or so to go for the next 50 or 80 kilometers if I'm driving fast. That's something which obviously, unless this is very much improved, I think will still be an obstacle uh, to go for, at least for me, this is, this is one of the biggest reasons not to go for an electrical car. And the charging station? For electrical car, is it yeah, a, There's a lot of infrastructure missing, yeah? And this is one of the, uh, for me, the most interesting parts of the whole discussion anyway, because nobody's talking about the multi-billions investments that will be necessary to go away from, from uh, the current, you know, uh, automotive fuels to alternative energies anyway. If there will be more gas cars, how much investment it will take? For, for CNG, you mean now? Yes. I said in Austria, you have the infrastructure available. It's here. But for car producers, maybe? 
for car producers, I think it's it's more or less the same effort to produce diesel cars than, than CNG cars. That's not the problem as well. It is just that it was not attractive enough for the customers so far and has not been marketed and has not been explained in the right way. And CNG is now getting a certain, obviously a certain new support because of the climate discussions. Because it's a very, I mean, if you want relatively climate friendly uh, fuel, uh, if you compare it, for instance, to, to gasoline, much less CO2 emissions, you don't have fine particles if you, if you use that car. So there's a, a, a lot of uh, advantages without having to invest, you know, into a big, big range. Another important part of your strategy is internationalization of the downstream and upstream business. Yes. And here is a partnership you want to go further with Middle East and Asia. Am I right? Yes, Can absolutely. you comment on this? Why these regions? If you look at to, into our downstream oil strategy, and this is what it is all about, is that we see, and I think we're not the only ones, we, everybody is actually planning for that, the demand for uh, automotive fuel in uh, Europe will go down for heating as well. So what you have to do here is not to go into higher capacities, but what we are doing is, for instance, in OMV, we try to, and uh, not only try, we will do it, uh, we will change the product slate from those products more the, where the demand is declining to products where the demand is growing, like jet, fu jet fuel, for instance, petrochemical products, uh, but there is no growth. And so the only growth we still see in refining, and especially in petrochemicals, is in Asia. That's a very big market, a growing market with growing demand. And because we have developed uh, a high quality of uh, know-how, how to efficiently run a downstream operation in, in Europe, in a pretty difficult environment, the idea was to transfer that know-how into a different place that is in the forefront of growing markets. And therefore, it is, uh, uh, and I'm very much proud of that, that we succeeded to get 15% in atomic refining just recently. We are not having the closing, we have signed it. The closing most probably will happen in the third quarter of this year. And uh, to acquire 15% in a trading joint venture, in a global trading joint venture, that will be have to even be built up now. Yeah, this is in the phase of uh, uh, being founded. And the Atmog refining system, it's not only one refinery, this is three refineries, um, is the fourth largest refining location uh, production site worldwide. So it's a very high quality production. And obviously, if you can apply, uh, and this is what is the plan, our know-how there, then obviously we see a very, very uh, interesting future for that investment. Why have you started with ADNOC? We have a very clear, uh, I think, uh, relationship uh, even between Austria and Abu Dhabi since long. <clears throat> Mubadala, the uh, foreign investment arm of uh, Abu Dhabi, is owning 24.9% in OMV. We have uh, Borealis, for instance, uh, one of the biggest, you know, polymer producers worldwide. OMV has a 36% share in Borealis and Mubadala has a 64% share in Borealis. And Borealis is having a joint venture in Abu Dhabi that is called Borouge. This is the, currently the biggest polymer production site worldwide uh, where Borealis is having a 40% share 
and Adnok is having a 60% share. So you see already a certain combination uh, in cross-ownership between Austria and Abu Dhabi companies, if you want. And so it was, uh, I think, just logical that we could come to a, a transaction again uh, with Abu Dhabi and to go in, uh, into Adnok refining. Whereas I have to say it was a pretty, you know, competitive process. So it was not a bilateral discussion. More than 20 companies applied for that share. And finally, ENI and OMV have been successful in getting one. What kind of innovations you want to bring to that market? Pretty good question. We are having an MO, a memorandum of understanding signed. Um, as you might know, we have developed or we are on the way of developing, for instance, the recycling of, of post-consumer plastics here in Austria. This is just a research project still, but uh, we have signed a memorandum of understanding uh, with ATNOC to at least take a feasibility look whether this would qualify to be a, a part of the uh, sustainability uh, solutions in Abu Dhabi as well. Uh, and uh, again, their first impression, what they think about this proposal? I think they're pretty excited. Uh, we're excited about that, but it will take time because as I said, it's a research project and research is taking time. We have a pilot plant currently at the, I mean, not a higher capacity. It's only 800 tons per year. And this plant is more or less uh, used to stabilize the production process, which is the real challenge to get that under control. If we are successful in doing that, then we will invest into the next uh, stage. That, uh, that is a plant then having approximately 20,000 tons per year. And this would be the basis. If this is then really working, then we go into an industry scale uh, plant of something like 200,000 tons per year. And this would make a lot of sense already, because this would mean that we replace some of the crude that otherwise you would have to bring from, from uh, international markets to our Schwecher refinery here by feedstock that is already in the country. Am I right that you're a fan of football? Yeah, I'm a fan of football, but not that active anymore as a fan than I have been in the past. Did you play football y yourself? Yes, I have been playing football for 15 years, but uh, in, in, in an average talented way, I would call it, because I was just in the, in the third league of Austria and that was it. Uh, but I had to stop then at a certain point uh, because I went into a foreign country for working for OMB. You, you never had a dream to go to, to make it as your profession. Everybody has a dream to do it, yeah, but I mean, obviously, Obviously, it did not work. Austria is famous for, for its Bundesliga. I don't know whether we are so famous for our <laughs> Bundesliga. Yeah? But still, yeah. what can you say about this club? Do you support it? <clears throat> the Austrian Bundesliga, uh, you know, first of all, I'm, an, I'm really uh, proud to be an Austrian, but not to be proud in terms of football, because, I mean, our clubs are uh, having not the quality of, of football than... than other countries, um, which is to a certain extent caused by, I think, the uh, development and a lot of the better players have left Austria and are playing for bigger clubs. Which is your favorite club? In, in Austria, you mean? No, at all. Internationally. At all? International. International. I, I do not want to, to, to sound like this is changing from on a weekly basis. It does not. But it was CF Barcelona. 
um, when they started to have that new style of playing football a couple of years ago, when I think they were coached by Pep Guardiola. In the meantime, I have a tendency more to go to the Premier League clubs like uh, Manchester City, uh, Liverpool or Tottenham, for instance, because they are so consistent, they never give up. Do you remember the moment of game where you were really proud of this team? I was, I was once proud of the Austrian national team because we have a special relationship, especially as far as football is concerned, to Germany. Germany. Usually we lose out all the time. And uh, it was in 2018 when we beat them 2-1. Uh, I have to say it was just an exhibition game, so it was not having a big value. But still for Austrians, that's, that's a good moment. When you are going to see the next match, any? I don't plan to see a next match. Maybe the last match I saw was in uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, when I saw uh, Zenit uh, St. Petersburg playing, I think they have in the meantime won the championship or the local championship at least uh, in, in Russia as well. Maybe there is a time to see them as well because there's a, a great stadium, first of all, and, and a great team as well. And why do you like football? What attracts you in this? A team play, yeah. Uh, and, and this is not very difficult, uh, different to work because you have teams here, you have teams there. You have to summon that the common target and everyone is dependent on the other. Otherwise, I mean, you cannot win alone in football. It doesn't work. So you like this teamwork? Yes. Why? Because if you have a team, you can multiply the impact. If you are alone thinking, then you just have a certain, yes, some are a broader area and can, can cover a broader area. But it's always better to have more opinions. Um, it's always better to have... Um, different dynamics, uh, because sometimes uh, the left one will be more dynamic than the right one. And so I think it's, it's all in all, it's, it's, it's a better setup to have a, a lot of forces running into the same direction. Okay. And what kind of character needed for good uh, teamwork? Not too much of egoism, first of all. And as I said, a, a team requires a common target. Otherwise, it's not a team and the team needs a captain. How to become a captain? How to become a captain? Uh, because you are taking more efforts than the rest of it. And or responsibility. Take more efforts and responsibility. We started to say about the technologies and I know that you are planning to invest up to $500 billion, yes, to up to 2025 year to technologies. And one of them is re-oil, which we already started to talk about. Yeah. Let's discuss it in more details. Can you tell us? <clears throat> the the, the real logic is, is easy. It is just that you uh, take post-consumer plastics, that's polyethylene, polypropylene, polystyrene, for instance, and that is, has to be collected. It has to have uh, a certain uh, cleanliness, if you want. I mean, it, it cannot, it should not be compromised by a lot of different uh, stuff like paper or metals and that kind of things. So one of the challenges is to get the right quality as a feedstock. And the, the process itself is not that easy and not that simple, but it should work like to take that uh, post-consumer plastic waste and uh, bring it again into a, a liquid form 
that is more or less you can call it synthetic oil for instance and this synthetic oil is going into refining again and replacing uh, crude oil that we otherwise would have to supply from from other other sources it can fully replace yes absolutely it, it can replace not not 100 percent of course but as i said i mean in 2025 we plan to have 200,000 tons and that's, that's quite a number already. How can this crude oil, synthetic crude oil, can be used in, in more details? Can you tell about this? It will simply go into the crude distillation again and you just take out products that we are currently producing without that synthetic crude. It would be very great for the Schwechat location here because here what we are doing is we are running our refinery. We are producing ethylene and propylene. Uh, the ethylene and propylene is going over the fence to Borealis. I mentioned that we have a 36% share in that company. They are pro producing out of that polyethylene and polypropylene. And if you then take the, the waste after the usage of polypropylene and polyethylene, again back into Schwechert refining, this would be a physical uh, circle. And this would be really something which... which uh, great to see that in the future. So we hope that we will be successful in stabilizing the production process. So this circular economy, am I right? Yes. And you're trying to achieve in the it? the best sense. <laughs> okay. And why is it important? It is important because it has a big contribution to emissions uh, and to the climate, of course. First of all. Second of all, most probably not so much in Austria. Uh, but you know that uh, plastic waste is one of the biggest problems currently on a global discussion basis. And this would be, uh, if working, yeah, I always have to be uh, a little bit careful because some are thinking we are producing already uh, sensational quantities. That's not the case. But w uh, once we are successful in, in, in getting the process into a quality that is acceptable, this could be a concept which is obviously fitting totally in the, into the current discussion. I know that you are now using the plastic cups from the airlines. Yes. For this uh, pilot plant, am I right? Yes, from Austrian airlines. Besides of this, what kind of material can be used and from what place you can take? It is what, whatever was the final product, as long as it is polymers, you can use it. Um, the cups that we are getting from Austrian airlines as a feedstock for the, for the re-oil plant, this is a cooperation that we have started. Austrian Airlines is, by the way, one of our biggest customers uh, in, in uh, the Vienna airport, of course. Um, and it's helping both because they uh, can actually have a certain contribution as well to the environment. Yeah, And uh, this is the best way of making use of something which is already used uh, in order to bring it into the process again. I heard they have a green flight strategy yes. for this. After you started your cooperation with them, were there any other companies which were also interested to provide you their plastic? We have a, we have a, a, a pretty close cooperation, as you can imagine, with Borealis. And so this is something which most probably we will develop in a synergetic way together with Borealis as well. Because if you then connect potentially their products with our needs, then this would be obviously a perfect uh, fit. And another thing is co-processing. Yeah. Can you describe this one? Co-processing is, is, a, is a process, I believe, that is already to a certain extent working elsewhere in the industry. 
Um, and uh, to make it very simple, the idea of coprocessing is not, as we do it today, to take the finished products and then you blend biofuels into the finished product, but to use uh, high-quality biofuels already uh, before the crude distillation and you process the whole uh, together with crude through the whole refinery. What you get is a, uh, a product which has a much higher stability, a much higher quality um, and as well has a much lower uh, CO2 footprint at the same time. This is something which uh, I think has been already advanced in terms of technology in our refinery. We are doing that in the Schwechert refinery as well. Uh, we'll need uh, substantial investment is one part of the 500 until, until 2025. Um, but uh, I hope we will be there in, a, in, in, in not the, in the foreseeable future even. For this co-processing, you need to add mixtures and that these mixtures can have an influence on edging and equipment. Is it like that? Yes, this is this what I mean with a much better stability of the product. Because if you, if you mix two finished, you know, components to each other, that's totally different than you process them at the same time through our configuration of the, of the refinery. How can it be managed? This is something which we have just to find out where are the challenges still. We know where, where they are, but this is something which is going, I think, much too more in, in, into a technological discussion. But we see where we still are not uh, in the right uh, quality of the process. And uh, we are working on that in order to remove those uh, challenges. And then I think, I think they should be running, as I said, I mean, next couple of years. This re-oil is already a pilot plant. It is working on your Schwechat refinery, am I right? It is working here in the Schwechat refinery. Um, we had invested in that one 10 million euros. So, I mean, that's an investment already. But it's a low, it's a low volume currently. It's a low capacity. And the pilot plant is a pilot plant because they should be then uh, piloting a higher capacity. And uh, so what you're doing is in order to not overinvest already, because we could try to have a 200,000 tons investment today. That's a multi-billion, you know, uh, uh, not billion, it's, it's a few hundred million euro investment. Um, but you don't know whether it will be working. And so the risk is much too high. So this is why you gradually grade up then the capacities. And we are now in the pilot phase. As I said, the next one would then be, I mean, uh, a 20,000 tons per year capacity, which is already good. That is already something. And if this is then working in a, uh, in a comfortable way, then we go for 200,000 tons. How can you predict when can you make it into industrial scale already? Industrial scale, if you call the 200,000 industrial scale, which I would do, uh, what we are currently hoping and planning, by the way, if everything is working according to our plans, then this will go in operation in 2025. Also, biofuels is here, yes, in this question. What can you say about OMV contribution to this part? Uh, what we are currently doing is we are not producing biofuels. Um, we are actually, as all the other refineries, or most of the other refineries in Europe, we are just blending biofuels. We have a cooperation close to our um, Schwechert refinery here with another company that is buying and producing biofuels, especially biodiesel. And uh, I mean, there are not, not very many other activities on top of that currently. Is there on your future plans? So do you have it? 
on your plans? Not really, no. Not yet. Not because, yet. you know, your incorporation with any company and they just made two of their refineries a bio-refinery. And it is interesting for me, so how an oil company can, can make such a difficult decision? I mean, if you, if you have uh, refineries that are fit to go into a conversion, yeah? Of a, to, of, a, of a new product, more or less, which is the case, yeah? then this is something which is a way forward. We have three refineries and there is no plan to convert them in, into biofuels refineries. Another part which we, I want to discuss with you is the Congress participation. What can you say about OMV company preferences in this? <laughs> First of all, to be honest, personally, I don't have a lot of time to go for such you know, events. Uh, maybe too little time to do it because sometimes they are pretty valuable. Um, I think there are many events as long as the topics are the right topics uh, and as long as the participants are, you know, uh, in a complementary way uh, coming together at such events makes a lot of sense because there is a lot of exchange of uh, know-how and experience as well uh, in the oil industry and uh, where we see it mainly is in refining. What kind of companies you, you as OMV would like to meet at the Congress? I think, yeah, <laughs> downstream oil companies, but maybe not only from Europe, because sometimes the, <clears throat> the level of uh, development is different uh, in, in even other countries. Um, sometimes in, in some aspects they are more advanced already. And it's always to get something which has a certain value back home then from such an event. Um, on top of that, not only oil companies, I believe, there should be companies that are working in the oil industry as a service company, for instance, that have developed technologies already, suppliers for the oil industry, um, and most probably as well, consultants that are dealing with industry developments and uh, actually looking forward, you know, um, ideas, uh, because we have such a lot of, you know, so far unresolved uh, issues that there is a lot of, you know, uh, brains needed in order to address them in the right way. And if you combine to a certain extent, then I think this, this is useful. And if you meet competitors at the Congress, is it good or not? <laughs> that depends on the competitor to a certain extent. Um, I think that's, that's not a problem, yeah? Because if you would have the idea that you should not meet competitors at any event, then we cannot go to any anyway. So first of all, I think the competitors and we, we as well, we will not give away certain intellectual know-how there, which is proprietary, of course. But at the same time, uh, you can learn from experiences of uh, processes potentially that have already uh, been implemented in some of the refineries, not in all of them, or in the petrochemical part of refining. Um, in the maintenance part, there's so many areas which are very important to run successfully a business in a pretty difficult environment so that this exchange uh, of opinions and, and, and of experiences is, is I think, uh, pretty, pretty necessary. Can you list for me five uh, issues where only want to find a new supplier or service provider to help to manage your production challenges? I do not name five, I do not name three, but I can tell you that we from time to time are going out to find new. 
uh, it's not something where if you have, for instance, a development partnership with a certain company having a certain know-how, then and and this is working in the right way, then you do not want to choose uh, to change anyway. If you if you think about different areas in refining where you need services, then what we are doing is we are quite frequently changing suppliers because obviously we are having a certain benefit that there is a lot of competition as well. And this is something which I believe is the same for, for all the companies that are working in downstream oil in, in Europe. We can go to Blitz, another Blitz. traditional part, which is Blitz. Okay. So you just give me a quick reply, which is on your head. Don't think too much, just reply, okay? Uh, Three professions you consider the most important. Medical doctors, farmers, researchers. Why? Because, uh, I mean, if you, if you really look at it, I mean, what, what is the highest uh, target that potentially human beings are having? That's health. Because you <laughs> want to get old in a healthy way. And uh, I think uh, the first one is, is the most important support for that. <clears throat> Farmers. I think the quality of food is a topic as well. That's the reason why. And, and the last profession that I mentioned is researchers because this is something which deal with future and this is where we will be going to. Monopoly, is it good or bad? A monopoly in the industry or what do you mean by that? In the industry. I think it is not good if you talk about Europe. You could have two different angles here because you could lo look as a monopolist, then a monopoly is great because you have everything under control. <laughs> But obviously, I mean, uh, choking apart, I think a monopoly is not good because it's not good for, for the population. Yeah. Because if you look at them at the monopoly, and I said, uh, from the other end, you have everything under control means at the same time, you do not have to change anything. You do not have to develop. You do not have to improve. You do not have to do nothing. So you could have a standstill. Uh, and at the same time, uh, nobody would have, uh, you know, uh, any benefits out of a, of a potential development. If you have a big competition, which is obviously the, the, the case here in Europe, in our industry at least, there's a tough competition. That's, that's the best for the, for the whole population here. If you start your own company, what would it be? One of my, my biggest, you know, uh, ambitions are to increase performance as well in that company here. And so, yeah, if I would start the company, I don't know whether I would do it, yeah? but would, would most probably uh, analyze uh, companies in terms of uh, performance and find areas where you can improve it, find areas where you can get better, where you can increase efficiency. So it's, it's, it's a, if you want a consulting company for, for profitability and performance. What habit you would like to get rid of? The first one that crosses my mind now is I, I'm pretty impatient and sometimes I'm saying I would like to get rid of it, but if I'm honest, I don't want to get rid of it. Yeah, it can be good. <laughs> that makes a, a lot of ambitions and, and as well. Um, maybe if I could get rid of a habit, that's, that's now uh, a special definition, but this would be the, hab the habit that, I'm, uh, that I do not allocate enough time for sports. Can you describe in one sentence, what do you do at work? Trying to find still potentials to improve our performance overall.
What are the main most influential oil companies on the market? In, in terms of size, this would be most probably ExxonMobil, Shell, British Petroleum. And in downstream? Go back to, to Europe now in that. Uh, Total, Repsol, OMV. How does big amount of money influence a person? I think that depends on the person. <laughs> I mean, I think if you have a big amount of money and you did not have a big of money, uh, amount of money before, um, uh, this will refocus your concentration areas because you do not have to think about anymore whether one restaurant is a little bit cheaper or a little bit more and you might go to different, you know, places to buy your daily belongings. But, but I like most those guys that, uh, that potentially are changing in those areas, but they, they, that do not change the core of their values. Could you please tell me who would you pass on this opportunity? I would like to pass it on to the, the downstream manager of the nearest refinery to the Schwechat refineries, just 50 kilometers away. Um, and I would like to pass it on to Gabriel Sabo, who is the CEO of Slovnaft in the Slovak Republic, where we are running a big retail network. And uh, hope you will enjoy it as I'm doing it. Back to Mall Group. Why? This is a competition which is a competition at a pretty high level. Um, and everybody is taking, I think, a pretty good part in it. Um, still uh, knowing the markets, still understanding what to do, still understanding where to go. So I think it's a tough competition, but at the same time in a very rational way. What question do you want me to ask? Ask him most of those that you have asked me today. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much.